there seems to be two extreme and conflicting views on the worth of the human being. Let's look at the two views set out in Psalm 8. What is man that you should remember him, or the son of man that you should be mindful of him? Yet you have set him a little lower than God, and you have crowned him with glory and splendour. On the one hand, the psalmist seems to be saying that man is of little worth, not important for God to take note of him. Yet on the other hand, the psalmist states, Yet you have set him just a little lower than the divine. Which evaluation is true? Are we worthless or of supreme value? Like many aspects of life, the answer you might give to this question depends on your perspective. Unlike any of the other created beings, man is composed of two main paradoxical elements. He contains within him both the aspect of the framework of uncleanness, which is manifest by the will to receive oneself alone, and which we describe in modern language as egoism or egoistical behaviour, the other aspect we have within ourselves, which we are usually less aware of, is the soul, characterised by the will to give unconditionally. Although both these elements within the person stem from the purpose of creation, which is the desire of the Creator to give pleasure to the created beings, nevertheless, these two elements which we have within us travel very different routes before they meet up in this most unlikely association called the human being. The ego develops through the framework of uncleanness, so-called because it embodies the element of receiving for oneself, which is inimical to the divine, having no spark of giving unconditionally in it, whereas the soul, which develops through the framework of holiness, has the desire to give unconditionally. The framework of holiness is called holy because it is the framework of giving unconditionally, and thus totally in tune with the divine, or, as we say in the Kabbalah, in affinity of form with God. So, here we have a created being, the human being, who is composed of elements, giving him both the potential for expressing the ultimate in evil, God forbid, or the supreme good. And in this it transpires that he is unique in the entire creation, whether spiritual or physical, all other created beings are composed of good or evil, one or the other, but the human being is composed of both, and this is why he plays such a unique role in the worlds. Rabbi Ashlag, in his commentary, the Perush Sulam on the Zohar, describes man's role in creation as follows. Everything that you find in the work of creation is a matter of differentiation and clarification. For example, and God differentiated between the light and the darkness. That's in Genesis chapter 1. Likewise, he differentiated between the upper water and the lower water, also between the water and the dry land. Similarly, regarding the earth bringing forth herbs, the issue of each according to his own kind, is a differentiation. One can say the same regarding the governance of the day and the governance of the night, equally regarding the emergence of the animals from the water and from the land, such that all these distinctions teach the clarification of the holy from the unclean or the good from the evil. All that is thus clarified 
becomes an aspect of existing reality as is fitting to the Creator in holiness. This is the inner meaning of the saying of the sages that the entire work of creation is included in the declaration of the first day, let there be light. For within that declaration is included the whole differentiation between the light and the darkness, wherein the holiness is called light and the unclean is called dark. All the other descriptions of the differentiation between the framework of holiness and the unclean are details and branches of the overall differentiation between the light and the dark. However, despite this clarification between the light and the dark, the tikkun, which is the rectification of creation, is still left incomplete. The entire aspect of evil, or dark, appears as something for which there is no use. But this is not at all fitting for his perfection, may he be blessed. The tikkun of creation will only be complete in accordance with the inner meaning of the psalmist's words. Even darkness will not cause dark to come from you, and the night will give light as day, the darkness will shine as much as the light. In order to correct this darkness, the human being was created, who includes everything, from the uttermost evil to the ultimate good. Through his hand, the tikkun will be finished the required perfection, that is, the evil will transform into good, the bitterness into sweet, the darkness will shine like the light, death will be swallowed up forever, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. And this is the inner meaning of the words used to describe the creation of man in Genesis. Let us make man in our image, betsalmenu, like us, kidmutenu. The light is called the tselem, and the darkness is called dumut, such that man will be created from both of these forces, tselem and dumut, light and dark. And through this means, all the tikkun will be completed by the human, and the Lord will be one, and his name will be one, for the darkness will then have been transformed into complete light. That creation will be completed, we need have no doubt, because the Kabbalists tell us that the moment the thought of creation arose, the creation was instantly finished, God having no need of process as we do. Nevertheless, although on one level it is finished, man incarnates into this world in this strange association of body with soul, Egoistic and selfish on the one hand, yet with the potential of the qualities of divine life on the other, in order to complete the creation in actual practice. Man is born, but the two elements which we have described within him don't grow and develop at the same pace. He grows under the influence of the framework of uncleanness, that is, developing his will to receive for himself alone first. This continues more or less unopposed until the age of 13 in the boy and 12 in the girl. This is the significance of the age of Bar Mitzvah, as this is when the potential of the soul starts. Until this time, the soul exists as a point source within the heart. There, all but hidden by the demands of the ego. Through the practice of the Torah Mitzvot, which is the conscious actions of good deeds that oppose this egoism, the soul slowly begins to grow. Rabbi Ashlag, in his introduction to the Zohar, describes the development of the soul. It starts off with a level of nefesh. 
At this level, it is still passive, in the sense that if the person wants to sin, that is, use his will to receive for himself alone, the soul cannot oppose it actively. It can do nothing but acquiesce. Nevertheless, it would be wrong to imply that all the time a person has the soul level of nefesh, there is no development. This is not the case. Rabbi Ashak teaches us that at the level of nefesh, the soul grows from a potential, which is a point source, to having 613 elements, which make up a complete entity. These elements correspond to the 248 spiritual organs of the body and soul, and the 365 spiritual sinews of the body and soul. The development of the soul at this level of nefesh is dependent on the person doing the actions of Torah and Mitzvot to the extent that he is given the opportunity to do them. And although even at this stage he cannot oppose his own ego to a complete extent, but he can try to do it in a way which is unconditional. The Torah having the same essence as that of the soul is uniquely able to encourage the development of the soul. When I say a person engages in Torah mitzvot, I do not mean to imply that he needs to spend all day in the yeshiva studying. Rabbi Ashak himself did not encourage such an approach to life. We need to go out into the world and engage with our business and our relationships because it is really there that we get the possibility of putting into practice the opportunity of giving to our fellow man and putting into practice our faith in God. However, definitely wrong and mistaken would be a life devoid of Torah learning, or of the conscious fulfillment of the mitzvot, because if we were to take no steps to correct it, we would be left with our ego, our will to receive oneself alone, which would then grow unopposed, and we would not come to fulfill the purpose for which we were created. Thus, as the person works consciously, ever trying to come more and more into affinity of form with the Creator and developing his will to give unconditionally, the soul grows and gradually incarnates more of itself, attracting higher and higher levels of soul. This is a gradual process, and thus the soul's light has different names. After the first level of light, called Nefesh, comes the next level of soul, called Ruach, meaning spirit or wind. This name connotes a consciousness of its own. It's got movement. From Ruach, there are further stages of soul, called Neshama, Chaya, and Yechida. Each level a quantum leap of difference in ability and perception than the one before. These stages of the soul are outlined by Rabbi Ashlag in his introduction to the Zohar. From his description, we can see that we have a potential in holiness that for most of us is almost completely untapped. This seems to me corresponding to the biological fact that we are told that for the most part the human being only uses a fraction of the brain actually available to him. Just think how much goodness we could do for our fellow if we really had the ability to tap into our reserves of holiness. This is how the Zohar describes the ability of a realized human. They are called his angels on earth. Even though they are of this earth, their body, their will to receive, has become like that of the angels on high, and their doing precedes their understanding. They are not ruled by their intelligence in carrying out God's mitzvah perfectly, but they do the mitzvah completely, even before they have managed to become aware with their thought of what they are doing. Therefore, these people are designated as being God's angels on earth. This is what the Zohar says. In the future, 
The Holy Blessed One will make them wings like eagles to roam throughout the world, as it is written, and those who hope for the Lord will renew their strength, receiving wings like eagles. So we see that the potential of the human can lead to him becoming just less than the divine. So when we look again at the psalmist's words, we see how pithily express the condition of the human being. On the one hand, if we do not develop our potential, we may as what is man that you should be mindful of him. But when we work on ourselves, trying to be compassionate and merciful to God's creatures, through the practice of Torah mitzvot, we come to, yet you have crowned him just less than the divine. I do think that believing in our own divine potential is the first part of realizing it. And I cannot recommend to you enough the introduction to the Zohar by Rabbi Hudelev Ashlag, whose first question he poses in this work is the topic of our talk today, what is our essence? The introduction to the Zohar is available in English in two versions. The first is a simple, straight translation presented in the book In the Shadow of the Ladder as one of the introductions of the Kabbalah written by Rabbi Ashlag. The other book is A Tapestry for the Soul, which takes the introduction to the Zohar and explains it using writings of Rabbi Ashlag's other writings to expound and illustrate the ideas in this introduction. Both books are available on Amazon and other internet retailers through your local bookstores or directly from Nahora Press. audio recording is brought to you from Nahora School, established by Yadida Cohen for the study of the Kabbalah as taught by Rabbi Hudelev Ashlag. Studies with Yadida Cohen are available through the Nahora School online. Details at www.nahoraschool.com or www.nahorapress.com.